Welcome to People Who Wrote Books, a podcast about people who wrote books. I'm your host, Andrea, and I am going to tell you the stories of some of my personal favorite authors. Now, at this point, I assume it's pretty clear that I like to read, but did you know that I also love history? Like, I really love history. I am through and through the history nerd. So when I pass one of those historical markers, like, you know, the ones that are like big metal signs that are usually kind of green from patina and up on a metal pole. Well, when I see one of those, I have to read it. And I mean, all of it. And that is how I discovered John D. McDonald. So I happened to be living at the time in a town where he had lived for many years and written a lot of his books. And so that's why they had the historical marker for him. And then one day at the used bookstore, I hit the used bookstore jackpot. I stumbled upon an entire set, which is 21 books of John's Travis McGee series. And I don't know if you all feel this way as well, but I have a certain style of book that I like to read that I like to hold. And those are the the paperbacks from the 60s and 70s. So they're usually like mm, four inches by six or seven. And they've got really great like 60s, 70s, vibrant covers. And then they also have like the edge of the pages is colored for some reason. Usually it's like a green or a red. And then they have that smell. Like I know there are a lot of different types. Like if you're a real book lover, There are many different types of smells of books, but this one is my favorite. And yes, I am aware of the fact that it's probably mold and mildew, but I don't care because it makes me really happy. So now on top of this, it was the beginning of summer. And what is better for summer than short, fun mysteries featuring the rambunctious, flawed, but totally lovable character of Travis McGee? So this is when I really started reading John D. McDonald, and now let's talk about his story. So John Dan, D-A-N-N, we'll get back to that in a moment, McDonald was born July 24th, 1916 in the town of Sharon, Pennsylvania. Now Sharon is located on the far west side of Pennsylvania, right on the border of, with Ohio. In the 1910 census, Sharon had a population near 22,000, which is a pretty good size. But the 2020 census is only like 13,000, which is significantly smaller. So of course, now I'm down this rabbit hole and I have to see why that decrease happened. Well, it turns out that Sharon was a coal mining town that turned into an iron and steel making town. And then the whole population decreased like with that industry. So there you go. Side note about Sharon, Pennsylvania. Now back to John. So John's father, Eugene, worked for the Savage Arms Corporation. And that is exactly what it sounds like. Interestingly enough, it's just the people's name is Savage, but Savage Arms Corporation is a gun maker. And his mother's name was Marguerite Grace Dan, D-A-N-N. So that's where his middle name comes from. It's his mother's maiden name. Now, other than her name, I actually haven't found much out about her. I did find that she was born in New Haven, Connecticut. 
She was a member of the Women's Rotary, and that's about it. There is a super cute picture of her, though, with John as a baby that's in the University of Florida archives. So that exists, but really not too much about her. A lot more about his dad out there. In 1926 now, when John was 10, his father took the position as treasurer for the Savage Arms Company, and the family moved to Utica, New York. Now, this is where John ended up graduating from high school. And at that time, his dad gave him this option of either doing some like college prep courses or going to Europe to travel. So obviously, 18-year-old John was like, yeah, um, I'll go to Europe. So in 1934, he got to travel. And I think that is so cool. And I imagine that the family must have been well off financially for that to even be an option. I don't think they could have afforded that otherwise, but John got to go and travel Europe in 1934 when he was 18. Okay, so now when he came back from traveling in Europe, he did enroll at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania, which is of course their super famous business school. He ended up dropping out during his second year and began at that time working odd jobs. I still believe that there is no exact formula that creates an author, but I found that working odd jobs for a time does seem to be a commonality. So I don't know if it's just part of living that artistic life and having to work odd jobs to make ends meet sometimes, or if being an artist just really requires some varied life experiences. So anyway, I don't have the answer. I'm just noting that it's a commonality. Now, John did end up enrolling in Syracuse University, and it was during that time that he met Dorothy Prentice, and they secretly got married in 1937. Secret marriage. I mean, this is good stuff. Now, Dorothy went by the nickname Dordo, D-O-R-D-O. Honestly, like I, I looked it up. I thought, well, maybe that was like a common nickname for Dorothy at the time. I can't find that listed anywhere amongst the countless nicknames for Dorothy. So I don't know why she went by Dordo, but she did. Anyway, Dordo seems freaking cool. So I'm going to take a slight detour for us to learn a little bit about her history because she was such a huge influence on John and his career. So Dordo grew up near Syracuse and attended Syracuse University to study art, which she had always loved. And it was there that she met a man named Willard Teed. Now, Dordo graduated in 1931, and Willard then followed in 1932, and they were married after he graduated. However, since she was a year ahead of him in school, she took a job teaching art while he was finishing his degree. And the school where she was teaching wanted her to also teach French. Now, Dordo did not know French, but I guess she figured, like, how hard could it be? And she took the position and then taught herself French so that she could teach at this school. I think that's pretty awesome. Now, after their wedding in 1932, they went on a honeymoon to Pisco Lake. And then after the honeymoon, for some reason that they don't mention, she moved back to where she was teaching and he moved back home with his parents. And then shortly after that, his father was arrested. It seems like From what I can tell, maybe he was taking money from his job with the county. So anyway, Dordo and Willard 
never ended up even living together, and their divorce was finalized by the end of 1933. So just kind of, she kind of describes it later as just a blip in her life. Yeah, blips happen. So she continued to teach near Syracuse University, and one day in 1937, she stopped to eat at Fisher's Restaurant, and she was waited on by this college student who was none other than John D. McDonald. So when they met, he was only 21 and she was 26, a little older than him. But from this point on, John's story is very much influenced by this lovely woman and this fateful day when they met. And in addition to loving reading and history, I also love a good love story. And this sounds like it was a true love story. So 1936 was a great year for John. Not only did he meet Dordo, he also had his first short story published. The story was called G-Robot, and it was published in Double Action Gang magazine. Even though, like at this point now, he had a little success with his writing, but he did still choose to go on to study at Harvard, where he received his MBA in 1939. Also during this time, John and Dordo welcomed their one and only child, a son named Maynard. So in 1940, after he completed his MBA, John became a first lieutenant of the United States Army Ordnance Corps. And this is the department that supplies Army combat units with weapons and ammunition. So like with his father's industry and growing up in that world, this kind of makes sense. And then during World War II, he served in the Office of Strategic Services in the China-Burma-India Theater of Operations and he was discharged in 1945. Now, during this time when he was in the war, he was writing letters to Dordo, of course. They were writing letters back and forth and corresponding. And in 2022, just last year, these letters were actually published as a full book. Again, it's a beautiful love story. Now, after he returned from World War II, he started to write and write and write and write. It is said that he wrote 14 hours a day seven days a week for four months. So he was writing short stories and submitting them to magazines. And I think it's important to note here that, yes, those short stories that he wrote were being submitted to magazines, but it was Dordo who was doing that part for him because she truly did believe in his talent. So she was doing, and doing all of those submissions is not easy. So again, this makes her a huge part of his story and his success as an author. Now, after all of their hard work, Cash on the Coffin was published in 1946 in Detective Tales. And then his first novel, The Brass Cupcake, which is a great name to a novel. I have not read that one yet, but I I need to. The Brass Cupcake sounds amazing. Was published in 1950. And now in 1951, the McDonald family moved to Florida and things get really interesting. Because you see, at this time in Florida, in the Siesta Key, Sarasota area, there was this like incredible group of innovative artists that had come together and gathered in this place. So you had painters and sculptors and illustrators and architects and writers, and of course, the circus performers. So it was basically magic. I'm pretty sure that's what drew them and that's what they were creating. And they were all 
supporting each other. They were challenging each other. They were inspiring each other. And therefore, great works were coming from all of these different artists because of the fact that they were together. And that is when the McDonald's moved to town. So John and Dordo were basically a perfect fit for Sarasota in the 50s and 60s. Dordo actually became part of the Petticoat Painters, which is this awesome group, and I say is because it still exists, of women painters that came together because in the early 50s, as women artists, they were having trouble getting their works in galleries. And I love that the group is still thriving today and supporting each other. And John, you know, Dordo is part of the Petticoat Painters. John becomes part of a group that called themselves the Friday Liars Club. That is a great name. So now the Friday Liars Club was a group of authors that met weekly just to chat. It was a time for them to get away from their typewriters and, you know, just talk to other people for a little bit, let loose. This group was like a lot of prolific writers. So not only did we have John in the group, but McKinley Cantor was in it, Joseph Hayes. I can't find any primary sources for like the name of the group. Some theories say that it might be just from the fact that they sometimes like to play a liar's poker. But I'm a fan of the theory that it's kind of a little tongue in cheek to their abilities to spin stories. Because let's face it, all of these guys could tell you a tale. And interestingly enough, this group continued to meet for about 30 years. It was, I mean, again, there was magic happening at that time. So because of all the magic at this time, John wrote an insane amount of books. And Dordo was painting so much that she apparently filled all of the rooms of their home on Siesta Key. And so the books that John was writing during this time One of them was The Executioner that he published in 1957, and that was adapted into a movie. Actually, it was adapted into two different movies that were called Cape Fear. So a lot of times this is kind of the way people do know John's stories. They just didn't realize it. This is also where he wrote the Travis McGee novels. And if you have ever read or seen a Travis McGee book, the titles all have a color in them. So it's like, The Deep Blue Goodbye, Nightmare in Pink, and so on. Now, I've always thought this was cool, but I didn't know why he did that until I started doing this research. And the reason why is so much more amazing than I could have imagined. So you see, I told you there were all of these artists, right? Well, John was friends with the incredible artist, Sid Solomon. And as the story goes, John was talking about how traditional crime stories were usually kind of seen as black and white and it it was this feeling to them and even you know even when they were on screen as a television show or a movie they were usually black and white and he wanted his stories to be painted with the colors of florida now he was obviously at the time speaking metaphorically but sid was like wait why don't you just take that a step further and use colors in the titles of these books. So now there are a lot of things. I mean, I'm sure this is not a surprise to anyone. There are a lot of places in time that I would like to go to if I ever mastered time traveling. This moment is now on that list. 
I would love to be a fly on the wall to listen to a conversation between John D. McDonald and Sid Solomon. So cool. All right, add that to the list. Now, there is another thing. In addition to being a prolific writer, John was also an environmentalist. He advocated for Florida's natural beauty. Now, personally, I think it's difficult to live in Florida and not become slightly obsessed with this like larger than life beauty of the nature that surrounds you. Like nature here is in control. We are just here to enjoy it because man, yeah, nature here is crazy and amazing and beautiful. So I understand how he became this active vocal advocate for nature. But what I think is really cool is he then took that into his form of art and he actually was able to infuse it into a lot of his storylines to continue to make sure people were aware of things that were happening in Florida to the environment. So another thing he did that was awesome. Now, John passed away on December 28th, 1986. So he was 70 years old after complications from a heart surgery. He was actually in Wisconsin at the time. I'm not 100% sure why he was in Wisconsin at the time. Maybe it was for the surgery, but that is where he passed away and he was laid to rest in New York. And I just want to mention that considering how important place was to John and Dordo, to their creativity and how passionate John was about Florida's natural beauty, I was super sad to find out that recently their home on Siesta Key was demolished to build one of those big old mansions, you know, the kind. And I just think that's really sad that that place that was so important to them and that writing has just kind of unceremoniously been been taken away from us. Um, but that's a really bummer way to end this episode. So let me go back and say something happier. Okay, so let's end this with the fact that in his 70 years, John wrote 67 novels, five works of nonfiction, and 500-ish, give or take a few, short stories. That is an incredible accomplishment, and I am so glad that we still have those books in our lives. I hope you enjoy learning a little more about John D. McDonald, and remember, behind every great book is a person who wrote it, and this person took crime fiction from black and white to the colors of Florida. <laughs>